Welcome to Trying Days the Journey, conversations with publisher Chris Milligan. I am Bruce Torres. With us is John Loftus, a former Army intelligence officer, Justice Department investigator, and U.S. government prosecutor who has had security clearances many levels above top secret. John is the author of America's Nazi Secret, an insider's history of how the United States Department of Justice obstructed Congress by blocking congressional investigations into famous American families who funded Hitler, Stalin, and Arab terrorists, lying to Congress, the GAO, and the CIA about the post-war immigration of Eastern European Nazi war criminals to the U.S., and concealing from the 9-11 investigators the role of the Arab Nazi war criminals in recruiting modern Middle Eastern terrorist groups. John's also written a foreword for The Sleeper Agent, A Rise of Lyme Disease, Chronic Illness, and the Great Imitator Antigens of Biological Warfare by A.W. Finnegan. Available right now at, at trinday.com and next week, mid-December, at the usual sellers, Amazon, etc. And now, our host, Chris Milligan. Thank you, uh, Bruce, very much. Uh, and John, thank you so much for, for coming on. I mean, you are a, a national treasure as, as far as I'm concerned. Well, geez, and I don't get this kind of attention at home, you know. <laughs> well, you know, uh, wives are like that, you know, keep us yeah. keep us in line, you know. Right. Uh, you know, I, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, behind the scenes, behind the curtain, because, you know, uh, uh, oh, we're, we're born, you know, we uh, go off to school, we listen to the media, we go to church, we, we get all these different things, you know, uh, uh, told to us. Uh, then, you know, we might get out of school and find out, well, gosh, there's some things that they uh, didn't didn't teach us about. And then you know, myself, I had my uh, uh, daddy tell me some things I, I didn't understand many, many years ago. And, you know, so I keep uh, uh, trying to, you know, understand, you know, what my, my dad told me. And, you know, he was a person uh, that was uh, behind the curtain, you know, and... Oh, yeah, he was a uh, member of the Central Intelligence Agency. Because of, you know, being in COI... And then going from, uh, and actually just starting first under Archibald McLeish in the Library of Congress, and he was told to become an expert on the Philippines. And then COI came along, so he was in that. And then COI changed to OSS, and then he got drafted. And OSS said, great, we're going to put you into G2 and put you on MacArthur's staff because we don't trust MacArthur and Willoughby. And then, you know, he was... Uh, well, he got he got in trouble because he uh, put some of MacArthur's friends in jail, and so they had to replace him, and they uh, replaced <laughs> him with a guy by the name of Lansdale that that he'd been working on, and then moved oh, him. Oh, good. He told me he'd been he he moved to uh, being head of research and analysis for the invasion of Japan, and then he said he was in a couple of alphas. And uh, then all of a sudden he was in the CIA, and then in the CIA he was branch chief head of all of East Asia Analysis Office. So he had a he had a wide view of things. So yeah. So and I knew someone that worked with your dad, oh. Al Haig. 
He did. I didn't. Al Haig was a very junior officer on the, the uh, MacArthur staff. Oh. Oh. And uh, from there, he went to uh, uh, the uh, Galen organization. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, uh, yeah, the Galen or I mean, when I ran across all that, I mean, you know, I did a book called Fleshing Out Skull and Bones. I, I put a chapter in there called the Treaty of Fort Hunt. There was no members of Skull and Bones mentioned in that. It was by Carl Oglesby. And I says, but, you know, we, we need to understand that. Because, you know, what my daddy told me, he says, I'll never forget it. You know, I mean, I was in this room with this professor from Vanderbilt, D.F. Fleming. And he looks at me and he says, Vietnam War is about drugs. There's these secret societies behind it, you know. Okay, you know, I'm thinking the mafia, you know. And then he says, and communism is all a sham. These same secret societies are behind it all. It's all a big game. At, at that, he completely blew my mind, okay? And, and, I mean, it took me 20 years to even get a handle on, on that. And now, you know, I'm reading, you know, uh, Sleeper Agent. And then I'm, I'm reading a, a, another book that we're, we're looking to put out, The Battle Space of the Mind. And... One thing that I'm finding in both of these is these secret agreements between the Germans and the Russians that seem to really affect our life today. You've been, again, behind the curtain. What, what can you tell us about these things? Yeah. What they uh, mean? After World War I was over, there were all these restrictions placed on the German army by the Versailles Treaty. And so they cut a deal with Stalin that behind the closed doors of uh, Russia that the German army could uh, train the next generation and that German scientists would work with Russian scientists to develop new and, and more dangerous weapons. And the weapons they're coming up with were in the chemical and biological warfare range. Now when Hitler came to power, he put an end to this collaboration, but uh, it was uh, pretty nasty stuff. The German military organization was called Waffenproof 9, uh, Weapons Testing Department 9. The guy in charge of it was Anwalt or Attorney Mengele. He was the counselor, relative of Dr. Joseph Mengele. In fact, they subsidized a lot of his research because uh, Dr. Mengele had the perfect facilities for testing chemical and biological weapons. Auschwitz had the only pressurized gas chambers in the world. The Germans had come up with this uh, thing called nerve gas. Incredibly powerful stuff. Uh, a microscopic drop on your skin would kill you. And uh, Dr. Mengele's job was to test this new weapon. The idea was they were going to put it on top of the V-3 rocket and wipe out London and then New York and bring the Allies. It was Hitler's secret weapon. They actually had huge factories at Dienfurt and Klagenfurt to manufacture tons of this nerve gas stuff because uh, it was light enough they could put it into a rocket payroll and just have it land anywhere in Britain or the U.S. and take them out. They even... Uh, if the war had gone a couple of months longer, you know, this chemical weapons thing would have succeeded. 
They could have taken out Moscow and London simultaneously. The German and Russian collaboration, though, ended when Hitler came to power. He didn't want the Russians learning too much about what he had. And the Russians didn't want Hitler to learn too much about what they had come up with. Because behind the scenes, there was one area of science where the Russians were way ahead of the rest of the world. Botany. That doesn't sound very threatening. You know, botany, you get plants and flowers. But uh, the genetics of botany was something that they specialized in to increase crop production things. But they also, then, from what I said, what if we, you know, found a way to develop plant diseases to see if we could find... They found that using this new technique of vegetative hybridization, they called it, they could develop ways of combating plant diseases. That seemed to work real well. So then they tried it on animals, and they found out that some of this stuff was really deadly. They found a way of changing the genes of both plant and animal diseases very, very rapidly. They called serial passages. They'd pass a virus or a bacteria through a series of passages. They call it serial passages, and alternate like... Um, Oh, egg embryos and, uh, and the blood of different animals and do that like 20 or 30 times and that would gradually break down. It was like having uh, 20 generations of plants being hybrid. Well, it would come up not only with a new disease for plants or animals, but also with a new vaccine or antidote for it that no one else had. So and, and no one knew this was happening until they started using it on their own Asian and Muslim populations in Russia. And, you know, they used uh, ticks attached to camels, and uh, 100,000 people got infected with these diseases, and a million died. Stalin had thrown all the doctors and foreign uh, scientists out of Russia just before the war, because Stalin was getting ready to unleash his secret weapon. M diseases that would be short-lived. So, for example, when Stalingrad was about to fall to the Russians, all of a sudden all the Russian soldiers, all the German soldiers got very sick because they had been eating rabbits, wild rabbits caught. Nothing. Well, the rabbits were all infected with, um, t with um, fleas that were carrying leptospira. And so the the German soldiers were too ill to fight. You know, vomiting and coming out of both ends at the same time. And then all of a sudden the disease went away, but by then the German soldiers were pretty much defeated. Uh, the Russians were able... That, that was the secret to winning Stalingrad. It wasn't the bravery of the Russian soldiers. It was the bunnies. Uh, they poisoned the rabbits and the German soldiers were starving and they ate them. And that's how they got sick. Years later, we brought some of the, the Russian scientists to America. I watched a PBS documentary. This went right over people's head. And they were talking about how they, we have now modified leptospera so that it will only last for a couple of hours instead of a couple of weeks before it vanishes. And uh, so the Russian scientist goes, oh, yeah, this is what we did. And... Uh, he said, but no one ever asked me about it when I came to this country. They just 
people of the West just would not believe that Russia was so advanced in the manipulation of genes in biology because, oh no, this stuff didn't even start, John, until oh, 1963 when the British scientists invented DNA. Well, I'm sorry, this, was, this stuff was going on back in the 20s and 30s. Right. And that sounds crazy to the doctors when you tell them this. That's right, the Russians kept it secret. These sleeper agents that they were using, like Leptospera, were an incredibly powerful weapon. The Russians didn't have... Yeah, the rockets were delivering uh, anthrax or the chemical weapons, but they could distribute these bacteria very easily. Right. So they recruited uh, some of the Nazi scientists. Uh, in fact, there was one guy, Eric Traub, he was a veterinarian. So he was in that hybrid where they moved from experiments with plants, plant hybrids, to animal hybrids. He was the author of something called Clandestine Attacks on Crops and Animals. Now, all copies of that have been destroyed within the NATO agencies. Because, it's a little embarrassment, it turns out that Dr. Eric Traub, the nice veterinarian, was actually KGB agent Traub. Right, well, it, it, he started off as, as a Nazi. Well, you know, living here in the United States, I mean, people are getting bombarded with uh, psychological warfare uh, to get us to, you know, uh, think that, you know, every part of our government is just bad and evil and all kinds of stuff like that. And then the, the whole COVID thing, you know, um, they're trying to make people think that, you know, public health measures are, are some sort of uh, plot. And can you help explain what what COVID, how, how COVID happened? Yeah, I think this Russian system of genetic manipulation through serial passages was invisible to microscopic checks. I mean, you know, it wasn't until the 70s when DNA and we came up with CRISPR, a technology to splice viruses together. But it was like leaving stitches. You could see them. You can see where DNA had been cut and pasted together. So what the Russians did, this is hindsight, this is just best guess, is that they took the attachment mechanism from the HIV virus, AIDS, and spliced it into the SARS virus. And so COVID was designed as an economic weapon against China. But uh, the, uh, the lab where the Russians worked on this stuff had an explosion in uh, September. and uh, 2019, right? Yeah. And, uh, and the, the director of the lab disappeared. Apparently that was when they stole quantities of this stuff. And, you know, a month later it started to spread in China. So uh, the problem, though, was that this was an RNA virus. And RNA is like a slot machine that's constantly changing its setting. And so if we have a vaccine for an RNA virus for one month, three months later, it doesn't work at all. And that's what happened in China. So you'll see, this was a Russian-created chimera. They call it a, a chimera is a mixture of several different pathogens. So Russia's next door to China. China has an explosion of what we call COVID. And there's no illnesses in Russia. Zero. None. It's incredible. Next door. 
Oh, there was uh, two cases. Two Chinese elderly people crossed into Russia. They got sick. The Russians put them in the hospital and sent them home. But uh, nobody in Russia got sick until a couple of Russians went down to Italy on a skiing vacation, picked it up there, and brought back a mutated version of COVID. And that was what hit Moscow and St. Petersburg. And all of a sudden, there, there were more patients than hospital beds. Ambulances were driving around Moscow try, with patients in the back, trying to find a hospital to take them. And then in the day, they'd bring the patients back home and say, see you tomorrow. Right. So they were having horrible fatality rates that have been covered up. That's when China began to go nuts and say, okay, so vaccines don't work. We paid bribe money for it. It was a waste of money. And they just had a complete lockdown. Well, in a sense, the masks are good for keeping people who already have the virus from breathing out, but not from breathing virus in. The masks we had, even the best ones, were uh, three nanometers wide. Well, the COVID virus is only one nanometer wide. So yeah, but it has to hitchhike on sputum. So when you, they cough, at least the mask would trap it. You wouldn't spread it. So it was a very reasonable health precaution to take. And again, at this time, no one knew that COVID was, could possibly be a manufactured lab virus. Now it's beginning to look that way because when you look at COVID under a microscope, even an electron microscope, it looks like there's no stitches there, no CRISPR stitches, that it naturally evolved. Well, if it had naturally evolved, we would have found the evolutionary link by now. You're never going to find one. There's no unicorn or that spread well, COVID you know, there's, virus. There's, there's people that are going to be listening to this that are going to say that you're just uh, making all this up and it's just part of the uh, Russian hoax. What, what would you say to that? Well, I've pretty much spent my entire career exposing Russian infiltration of the West. We've had several Russian defectors come out and say, this stuff has happened. We worked on chimera viruses. The leptospera thing was real. That's how we won Stalingrad, but we're all told to keep our mouths shut. For example, Ken Alabek, uh, was uh, head of some of these biological weapons programs, and he defected to America, told the stuff to say they wouldn't believe him. Right. Yeah, I mean, that was one thing that really amazed me about Sleeper Agent was there's not just one book from a Russian defector talking about this or two books from Russian. I mean, there's multiple books from Russian defectors that talk about this that doesn't get mentioned in our media at all. We know. It's because you can't find a doctor in the West who will say, oh, yeah, I believe the Russians had could modify DNA 50 years before we did. They won't believe it. But if you say, now, look, you believe the Russians were the best in botany? Yeah, and the best at plant diseases. And they learned how to put plant diseases into animals, and, and they developed the serial passages. Oh, yeah, and serial passages won't show up on your microscope. Okay, well, if you approach it that way, they'll begin to understand that, geez, maybe Western science missed a big one. But, yeah, lots of people would say this. So I, I, I've been having all these guys, a lot of my clients were spies, people from different intelligence agencies. And they would come to me to see if I could get things declassified or at least out into the public domain. But, you know, there were all these guys who tell me the same things, but different sources. But it sounds like tinfoil hat stuff, doesn't it? 
It's yeah. crazy. So I asked Adam Finnegan, my friend, if he would research, see if he could find any documents that would support this incredible development of Russian biological weapons. And Adam took four years of his life just working. He got things declassified in CIA and in the United Kingdom and even in Russia. And it all says the same thing that's well documented. This biological weapons research did take place. They did work on things exactly like COVID. They had some that they worked on during World War II that worked really well. But the Russians were using America as a testing ground for their biological weapons. Right. And they had this Nazi scientist, Eric Traub. He worked for the Rockefeller Institute before the war in New Jersey. And then uh, he worked on Plum Island, off the coast of Long Island. And that's where the British and Americans tested our germ weapons during World War II. And Traub's specialty was using ticks. He could have ticks that could be carriers of different diseases and pass the disease on to baby ticks. And their ticks would pass it on to others. So then these ticks would attach themselves to birds flying up and down the Atlantic Skyway, migrating north and south, and they spread these various diseases all across the country. So Traub eventually was caught and confessed to being, we knew he was a Nazi war criminal, but he also then confessed to being a KGB agent. So we threw him out of the country, we sent him back to West Germany, and the Germans promised they'd keep an eye on him, and they didn't. So Traub started to work for governments like Iran. Right. Well, let me just change the um, tack a little bit here. Uh, the corruption in America, okay? And again, you know, I have to go back to my, you know, my father saying, okay, you know, there's the Vietnam Wars about drugs, there's these secret society. I mean, my dad wasn't a radical guy or anything like that. And, you know, I mean, to hear this word secret societies, um, I mean, you bump directly up to this corruption in the Dulles brothers and, and all of this. Can, can you speak a little bit about this corruption? Sure. What it has done to our body politic? Let's start with Teddy Roosevelt, very probably the real last great Republican reformer. And Teddy Roosevelt got laws passed that outlawed trust monopolies cartels. Made it a crime for the robber barons of Wall Street to do this stuff. So the robber barons, guys like the Rockefellers, got a loophole law passed in Congress, the Webb-Pomerine Act of 1918, saying American businessmen can have monopolies, trusts, and cartels if you do it overseas. So in the 1920s, all the American money moved from Wall Street and from the city in London and was invested in Russia, Germany, and Saudi Arabia. These are multinational corporations. They had, they were committing treason because this stuff went on in time of war. That didn't bother them. The Dulles brothers were their lawyers and their job was to cover all this stuff up. There were two guys who saw these archives inside American intelligence of how people in the allied nations had made investments in Nazi Germany. And one was a Navy captain, Richard Nixon, and he went to the Dulles Brothers and said, I know what your clients did, and my prices, you fund my congressional campaign. 
tell us a deal. And the other guy who worked in an archives in Germany was a young sergeant, he was a refugee, and his name was Henry Kissinger. You know, I was the secret source for Seymour Hersh's book on Kissinger, The Price of Power. Hersh shows up in my law office one day and goes, you know, I had just finished a book on Henry Kissinger, and somebody in the CIA said that you can't do it unless you talk to Loftus. He's the only one who's read all of Kissinger's classified files. So I told Hersh, I couldn't prove that Henry Kissinger ever smuggled a Nazi himself, but I can prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that he worked in every office where Nazis and Nazi scientists were smuggled to America. And when Hersh's book came out, he called and said, Kissinger's lawyer called him and threatened to sue. I said, well, yes. about all the stuff you told me about the Nazi connection. I said, I got everything from Loftus. They hung up the phone, they dropped the lawsuit, they never called me again. Now, Kissinger's friends would come visit me from time to time. You know, Henry was really trying to do what was good for America. Yeah, uh-huh. No, he wasn't. He was trying to make money. This stuff isn't about conspiracy theories or secret organizations. It's about profit. Anyone can make uh, a short-term profit if you sell your country out. And Nixon and Kissinger did that. Yeah, well, I mean, Nixon went, you know, 46, he's a representative, 48, he's a senator, and 52, he's vice president. Yeah, uh, the Rockefeller made sure that he would be there to keep an eye on Ike. Because Ike had appointed the Dallas brothers. One was Secretary of State, the other was head of CIA. And uh, Nixon was vice president, could keep an eye on those two guys. And plausible deniability. I could say, oh, he didn't know what was going on with the Nazis. And it wasn't just the Nazis, by the way. They brought in the Arab Nazis. Right, right. All these guys in the Muslim Brotherhood that became Al-Qaeda, that became Hamas. Uh, they were all uh, brought into the, this country by the Justice Department uh, by the, during the Eisenhower administration. There's a special law allowing us to bring in a hundred spies a year who could never get into America because their backgrounds were so black that they could never get into the country legally. So, and all the names I'm looking at are all these Arab names from Egypt. You know, so that's that's how the Arab. Tangled web, I tell yeah. you. Uh, but it wasn't so much, I think it was 90% stupidity, 10% conspiracy. It's about ways of making money. Well, and, and, and not getting in trouble after you already you did, you did some bad stuff. Oh, yeah, and by covering up the bad stuff that these guys did, the Russians had a field day, because now they could blackmail tons of people, not for smuggling in the Nazis, but for covering it up. And that's how you get guys like Mitch McConnell. Okay, now Mitch McConnell was the uh, Assistant Attorney General of the United States in charge of legislative affairs, and he had to cover up the Rockefeller Commission. That was supposed to be the distraction to prevent the Senate from investigating the corruption inside the CIA. Right. And, uh, and then McConnell, when I came out years later saying uh, I was going to testify before Congress, it was McConnell who threatened the Democratic committee chairman, saying, you know, you got to have Loftus's hearing, you know, because that had been in 60 minutes. They couldn't cover it up entirely. Um, the threat was that the committee chairman buried the information that Mitch McConnell would not run against him. 
McConnell at this time was the elected judge of a county commission that was the sa- exactly the same congressional district as Roman Mazzoli, the chairman of the Judiciary Committee subcommittee during the investigation. So Mazzoli took the bribe. You know, McConnell would never run against them as long as he kept his mouth shut about the Nazis, and he did. Sick little man. Right. Well, now, uh, we've got something going on in the world here today. We got we got a, a several wars. And, you know, get to get back to the Dulles brothers and, and, and them getting uh, blackmailed, uh, I mean, their own sister blackmailed them to get Israel into the UN. Can, can you tell that story a little bit? Oh, yeah, that, that's sort of fun. Eleanor Dulles, the sister, had a Jewish husband, and her brothers hated him, and apparently drove him into committing suicide. Eleanor decided that what her brothers was doing was wrong, so she pretended to be an ardent Nazi. And her brothers wrote letters about this. So after the war, Eleanor became the head, the political advisor for the U.S. government in occupied Austria. And we smuggled the Nazis out of Germany through Austria and then to usually to Latin America, but sometimes to Australia and Canada. So, but Eleanor was keeping track of all these files and she gave them to the early Zionists saying, you know, this is what you can use to blackmail Nelson Rockefeller because he was, Rockefeller was the guy, he was the coordinator of intelligence for Latin America and he was the one that was welcoming the Nazis and bringing them to Latin America. You know, and uh, so, you know, I, I met some of the Israelis that were involved with this. And yeah, you know, we dropped the files on Rockefeller's desk and he said, all right, you can have a country or you can have justice, but you can't have both. You got to keep your mouth shut about all the Nazis in South America. Yeah, that was the deal they cut until after Nixon and Rockefeller died, and then they went after uh, some of the Nazis. Yeah, I mean, you had uh, you know uh, Nixon, you know, as president, who had blackmailed the Dulles brothers. Uh, You know, he gets uh, uh, thrown out. You know, but before he does, he gets rid of Spyro. Agnew puts in Gerald Ford, who uh, went through mind control training as, as a child, and in my understanding. And then, you know, uh, who did Gerald pick as his vice president, but Nelson Rockefeller, and if Sarah Jane Moore or the other girl would have been better shots, I mean, he would have been president, and they just changed the law, he could have been president for 12 years. Yeah. So, yeah. And then... Of course, uh, Ford kept Henry Kissinger on, not just as Secretary of State, but as his National Security Council chief. So, uh, you know, Henry was the oil company's spy inside the White House. That's all. And and then to to my thinking, you know, um, that didn't happen. Nelson didn't get to be president. So you had David Rockefeller go out and pull up Jimmy Who, okay, and then they besmirch Jimmy Who, and they get in Reagan with George H.W. Bush as his vice president. And if, you know, Ronnie didn't know that George H. had a had a had quite an agenda, I mean, you know, Reagan was shot within 90 days, you know. So, you know, our, our history, there's been a lot of stuff going on behind the curtain. 
Yeah. Uh, but you know, a lot of it is just dumb stupidity. Greedy little pigs trying to make a buck and not caring about the long-term consequences. And the Russians play a long-term game, and they could use this stuff for blackmail. And, you know, there, but we know, Jacob Hoover knew that there were Russian agents inside the New York, New Jersey field office of the FBI. But he, because our code breakers had discovered this from decoding Russian telegrams after the war, Hoover ordered them not to investigate because he didn't want the press to find out. He, he let Russian spies stay inside the FBI rather than you know, risk some exposure. Now, those Russian agents inside the bureau, well, they naturally, they gave security clearances to other people who were willing to work for Russia. And guys like Aldrich Ames and... Uh, we had, you know, high-level Soviet penetrations of U.S. intelligence wiped out our spy networks behind the Iron Curtain. So a little bit of greed does a lot of harm down the road. Right. You know, I mean, our, our experiment here of America, of democracy, you know, of not, uh, you know, having a, uh, a pope or, or a king tell us what to do, much of the world is autocratic. Okay? Yeah. And, oh, yeah. and, you know, so it seems to me that some of these forces work against our democracy, trying, you know, internally, you know, um, psychological warfare us into particular camps so that we're all fighting each other. And, yeah. and, not, and, and we don't really know our history. And we, and we definitely don't know the history that all this blackmailing and this cover up have, have done to our body politic. Yeah, the thing is, most of our body politic. It's, it's pretty honest, probably more honest than the average American uh, group of citizens. But uh, but when you get groups like Russia finagling around, that's where the corruption comes in. The Russians want the world to believe that America is totally corrupt and that, you know, we're evil people. That's, that's not America. But you get a few corrupt guys like the Dulles Brothers, now, the Russians never blew the whistle on the Dulles brothers. What does that say? Richard Nixon went to the North Vietnamese communists and said, I'll make you a deal. You don't sabotage the Paris peace trucks, drag your feet. I'll give you a better deal when I beat and I get elected president. That's treason. Giving assistance to the Aiden Cup in time of war. The, the communists in China never used that against Richard Nixon. Well, but in front of it, Nixon was the one that sacrificed Taiwan and gave China Taiwan's seat in the United Nations. Right. And, and he gave them a bunch of their gold back and all kinds of different things. Yeah. You don't read that in the history books. But now it's coming out because, uh, you know, Johnson had discussions with people in Washington. What do we do about this guy, Nixon? He's a traitor. And because the information came from the British Secret Service, from their wiretaps, we couldn't use it without British permission. What can you tell me that I don't know, you know, or, or that all of us Americans should know? They were a good country. And the founding fathers were right. You split things up into legislative, executive, and judicial power. And you get guys like Trump, they come in, they may get, oh, a chunk of judiciary and uh, hold on the White House. They did it for one term. Now it's over. 
the wheels of justice grind slowly, but they will grind people like him down. You can fool all the people some of the time, oh, time as Lincoln said, you can fool some of the people all the time. You can't fool all of the people all the time. So I'm still an optimist. I think it's, we're going to let it come through it. Freedom of the press is one of the big reasons, you know? Guys well, like I'm, you. I'm very, I'm very hopeful. Well, you know, uh, the freedom of the press, you know, what's that old saw, if, if you own one. And I guess that's what, what, what I done done. But, um, I, you know, I, I still get Oswald killed Kennedy from our main media. You know, that's that's they, they keep pushing that same uh, saw. And to me, you know, that's part of uh, the control that these people in the shadows are trying to do, because if they can ram that down our throats and then we regurgitate it, I mean, who who's in control? But, you know, that's a good example. So now we have tapes coming out. Where from Cuban intelligence, where they discuss what sounds like they wanted to kill Kennedy and Oswald might have been working for them, okay? But it's not conclusive. Let me say, I, I had, I checked through a lot of files I probably had no business looking in to check into the Kennedy stuff. And I, I didn't, I personally didn't see any information. I grew up in Boston. Jack Kennedy was my hero. But stuff does happen, and it's it's just important to make sure the truth doesn't stay buried, you know? Right. It may be too late for me to test it, but it's not too late for the truth. We can find out what really happened. Maybe. And people are going to see, yeah, that most of the stuff that would happen, it was just not gigantic conspiracies, but gigantic greed, you well, know? Well, I, I do track some conspiracies, too, and, and using the uh, uh, the secret societal network, uh, you know, especially through uh, Masonic circles and different things. I'm not saying, you know, all Masons are bad because I, I know they aren't. But anytime you have a pyramidal organization where you're told that, you know, who's ever above you and they tell you to do something, you're supposed to do it. And, you know, even if it's, uh, you know, breaking your country's laws and stuff, uh, those organizations can be used uh, for conspiratorial, political, economic purposes. Bruce, do you have any questions or, or comments for John? I do, thank you. When all is, is considered, is it generally fair to say or think that America imp brought thousands of Nazis here? Is that too exaggerated of a number? No, it's not. I said, wow. uh, just talking about the Belarusian Nazis, when I appeared in 60 Minutes, that 300 Belarusian Nazis had come right. to America, right, and they right. screamed about that. Well, it turns out I understated that by a lot. Okay. The we had two laws that would give Nazis a permanent one that would give them permanent citizenship in America, and one that would give them a visa. The one that gave them permanent citizenship, I could see, and, and there was like the Nazi police chief of the Ukraine, things like that. But the visa one has never been open. <laughs> the Justice Department wouldn't let me. And I find out that you know. 5% of all the Nazi cases that we're supposed to work on, uh, the guys are on the FBI payroll. I and tell you my what. bosses in the Justice Department were covered up and lying to me. Two of my guys were on the FBI payroll, and they didn't want to tell me. The reason I asked you that, I had recently been interviewed on a podcast, and I said that, and I got such a seeming pushback 
that I'm glad I could double check with someone as. Yeah, I mean, more, most of the Nazis ended up in Argentina and Canada. Canada wow. probably had the highest percentage of Nazi workers. The entire Galician SS division ended up in Canada. A guy okay. wrote a book about it up there. He got sued. Turns Thank out you. he was right. Yeah. A couple other quick things. I've interviewed on my radio show three times a scientist based out of uh, Australia. Decades of publications and teaching credentials who makes a very who makes the case i can't judge it layperson that regularly meteorites fall with living material virions he calls them and he says to a certainty and publishes the evidence to back up his claim that a life-bearing meteor fell over China in October 2019. Short question, John. Have you ever heard anything like life-bearing elements from space seeding what could be a coronavirus, even particularly COVID-19? No, I think a life-bearing meteorite is a contradiction in terms because the meteorite comes to the atmosphere's high temperatures. They explode <clears throat> cataclysmic explosions. And they, you know, meteorites are basically sky iron was the, the name for it. And uh, thank the, you. I just I, um, I I don't see any realistic possibility of right. something surviving a passage like that. No. And maybe I shouldn't term it life. He calls it carbonation. It has you know what what is a disease. I vetted him to the extent I'm very comfortable bringing him on my show. I think Adam's book is going to take a lot of people by surprise. And it's going to take a lot of people time for it to sink in because oh, yeah. it, it, that, the, the idea that, that we have been hit with a wave of immune suppression weapons is, is bad enough. Can I ask but, you one more question, John? Yeah. We may have discussed this on your most recent podcast with Chris. Do you know or have you ever heard in any uh, dismissive or, or compelling way Evidence that the Apollo moon landings were faked. I think we may have discussed that on the last one. Um, gee, I think it would be impossible to fake. I mean, look at the uh, the, the radar data, the constant. You'd have to get every agency of government involved in the cover-up. No, it's impossible. I would submit to you, if you're curious about it, um, Bart Sabrell's work. His site is Sabrell dot com s-i-b-r-e-l dot com just you know f for your own curiosity and he also mounts um decades of, of evidence research analysis of film footage and many other things that make it very very plausible if not conclusive you know, to many I'm, many I'm, people I'm a, former, I'm a former federal prosecutor i'm skeptical about everything and i want to see the evidence so it's very rare that you know, anything is possible i guess and that's why you're a mentor to me like Chris Milligan. As I first got to know him after I sent my book to him, he's like, you know, Bruce, just because I might be a conspiracy, <laughs> it doesn't mean everything else you're hearing is a freaking conspiracy. Yeah. And I turn the command back to Chris. <laughs> um, John, any, any, any last words for our audience? That uh, if you have a friend who's an immunologist or a scientist, have them get a hold of a copy of the sleeper agent and read it. Uh, I think it's extremely well documented. Basically, I had, you know, 
my clients who are spies say this happened, and 20 guys are seeing the same thing independently. And Adam went and found the documents that seem to say, yeah, you know, we can prove a lot of this stuff independently. Yeah, well, I mean, you started talking about biological uh, warfare in the Belarus secret. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah it was the first book that mentioned the possibility that uh, I, I was told that Lyme disease came from ticks that were part of a biowarfare experiment on Plum Island. Right. And I guess I, and I didn't even publish the first connection that ticks caused Lyme disease until like six months later. So. Right. So sometimes my friends have very good information. I'm just an English major, but uh, <laughs> I have low friends in high places. Well, high friends in low places. We're, I, you know, we're very lucky that you were the person that was in your position, okay? Because, as you know, um, not everybody uh, stands up. Uh, some people uh, do other things with information. Yep. And so uh, I appreciate yeah, I, I get it. paid a dollar a piece by my clients under the attorney-client privilege. So I'm the worst paid lawyer in America. At least I'm pretty well informed. Well, onwards to a better future for our children. Thank you. That's what it's about. Yep. Amen. Amen. Amen.